Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me or maybe don't remember me because my family was just gone for a month, my name is Courtney and I am a member here at Faith Covenant. I'm very, very thankful to be back in this space, uh, worshiping with you all and hearing, hearing that is just really soul filling. Um, yeah, my family just returned from a month long cross country trip. We were spending time in God's creation and it was a really wonderful time. I'm really grateful for technology and for the people who helped to run it every week because even though we were gone, we were still able to uh, hear worship and participate in it from afar and also uh, keep up to date with this sermon series, which has been really great. Uh, Something that I really appreciated about going through the Sermon on the Mount is that when I was learning the Sermon on the Mount in college, that is really kind of what drew me to wanting to study God's word more deeply. I was in a New Testament class and just kind of fell in love with the words of Jesus there. So I feel very blessed and honored and humbled to be able to be here speaking with you today. I get to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is prayer. I would like to invite you to open your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use and join me. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8 this morning, Um, and I'm going to open with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark to guess at how you would have us approach you, but for revealing your ways to us and your will to us. I ask this morning that I would be able to speak your words clearly and that all glory would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would like to start by rewinding briefly to review a very significant theme that we have seen throughout our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And that is that Jesus is concerned with what is going on in your heart. We've seen this in the way that Jesus reframes the popular understandings of the time about murder and adultery, and in the call to love our neighbors. As Jonathan talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was teaching more than just an ethic here. And then last week, Matt spoke about how this plays out in the act of giving. Jesus opens this section of the Sermon on the Mount with the warning in chapter 6, verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So this whole section of Jesus' discourse recalls this warning from Jesus and the dichotomy between the internal motive of bringing glory to God versus bringing glory to the self. Jesus then applies this teaching to the three traditional pillars of Jewish piety at the time, which were giving, praying, and fasting. I want to pick up on several of the things that Matt mentioned last weekend as we zoom in on the act of prayer this morning. You may have noticed from a quick glance in your Bible that the section of Jesus' teaching on prayer here is longer than the other two, but it follows the same basic pattern. First, Jesus tells us what not to do. Then he provides positive instruction. You'll get to hear from Eliza next week on Jesus' positive instruction on prayer where he gives us the Lord's Prayer, and I thought Angela did a wonderful job of explaining that. So, um, but I think it's really important to give the context that when Jesus teaches the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, he first tells us how not to pray. 
and he gives us two specific examples of problematic prayer, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So first, Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They pray out loud, in public spaces, with the goal of being seen by others. As was the case with giving, Jesus tells us that if we hope to gain human recognition from our acts of piety, we will likely get it, but we won't get much else. The problem here is a problem of attitude and motive. C.S. Lewis once made the observation that a man is never so proud as when striking an attitude of humility. I think this points to the, it's kind of funny, right? It, it points to the insidious subtlety, though, of this sort of problematic prayer. From the human perspective, true humility and hypocrisy can be indistinguishable. But God knows the difference. Prayer at its best is an opportunity for communication and communion with God. But if we have the opportunity to pray with others and our focus is on ourselves, we're no longer really seeking or glorifying God at all. Perhaps a personal and humbling example is appropriate here. As a young Christian, when I was in high school, I remember having this kind of rush of anxiety during open-ended group prayer times. Um, I would think things like, what should I pray about? And how should I say it? And will people be able to tell what kind of relationship I have with God from the way that I pray? Maybe if I make my tone more like this other person's or use certain words, I'll sound more holy. During all this time leading up to my turn to pray, I wasn't orienting my heart toward God, and I wasn't really listening to or praying with my brothers and sisters. I was wrapped up in how I would be perceived by my peers. And I wasn't seeking God's glory. I was hoping to amplify my own. Jesus tells us that if we're concerned about our reputation, we would be better off praying in secret. Now, just as Matt said last week in regard to giving, we are to let our light shine before others. Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer, as evidenced in his own life and in the life of the early church. We see lots of examples of this throughout scripture. Corporate prayer is a vital and powerful part of life in the body of Christ. But Jesus isn't really interested in a show. God doesn't desire a display of piety that hides a heart bent on self-promotion. Jesus wants our hearts, and he won't settle for anything less. As one commentator puts it, to trade the goal of pleasing the Father for the trivial and idolatrous goal of pleasing man will never do. So if we find ourselves self-focused and hoping for recognition during times of prayer, Jesus says we would be better off praying in secret. This is challenging, and it requires thorough and consistent self-reflection, repentance, and discipline to keep our minds directed toward God in the act of prayer. One word of wisdom that I came across during my research was the suggestion that if you pray more in public than you do in private, you may be seeking a reputation for piety on some level, uh, rather than truly bringing yourself to God. And I found this to be a helpful barometer as I considered my own prayer life this week. So while we don't want to devalue the role of corporate prayer, and we definitely should not start glancing sideways at anyone who prays in public and doubting their motives, 
we need to take an honest look at ourselves and recognize that private prayer is sometimes best. It's a really important part of our relationship with God. Just like we talked about regarding giving, if that's what it takes for us to pray in a way that truly honors God, then it's what we need to do. Pray in secret, and you will be heard and rewarded by the presence of the holy God. So our first problematic prayer is the sort that seeks one's own glory. And the remedy that Jesus offers is that we ought rather to pray in secret. So far, this parallels Jesus' teaching on giving almost exactly. But then Jesus adds a second form of problematic prayer. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, to understand what Jesus is warning against here, I think it's helpful to have some historical context about prayer in the pagan religions at the time. The pagans believed that they were surrounded by a pantheon of gods who could be benevolent, capricious, or even cruel. To help them navigate their tenuous relationships with the gods, the pagan religions included detailed rituals and rules that were invented to win the favor of the gods. This divine favor would look like tangible forms of approval, such as uh, a good harvest that year, or fertility, or healing from disease. The rules and regulations that guided the pagans' approach to their gods had nothing to do with the heart, or let alone even with moral behavior. It was more like how we would imagine a magic incantation. The right words, in the right order, would get you what you wanted. The pagans were so concerned when they prayed because one wrong syllable or gesture, in their view, could invalidate their entire prayer. Pliny the Elder was a first century Roman author and philosopher, and he describes the precision and care with which the pagans approached the gods in prayer. He says, the highest officials pray in fixed forms of words, And to make sure that a word is not omitted or spoken in the wrong place, a prompter reads the text before them. Another person is appointed to watch over it, yet another to command silence, and the flute player plays to mask all other sounds. Can you imagine that for a minute? How is intimacy possible in a relationship where you have to watch your words that carefully? The transactional approach to prayer of the pagans was not what Jesus wants from his followers. But the bigger problem here, it's not just the lack of intimacy with God. The biggest issue was that prayer for the pagans was essentially an attempt to coerce the forces of nature. That's how one scholar puts it. The core belief was that deity could be manipulated to do your will. As long as you got the words right and included enough flattery, used enough proper names for the deity. In other words, the pagans' theological assumptions about who God was and how we as people could relate to God were mistaken. Now, I know you all know that coercion and manipulation are not appropriate ways to approach Almighty God in prayer. But do we ever approach the act of prayer with the desire on some level to manipulate God into doing what we want? 
The pagans, for example, would often include reminders to the deity of past faithfulness on their part or promises of what they would do once their prayers had been answered. In our day, this might sound something like, God, if you help me pass this test, I promise I'll study next time. Or, uh, God, if you would just help me pay my bills, I promise I'll try to be a better person. But Jesus makes it clear that this, our prayers should not take the form of a negotiation. We're not negotiating with God. That's how the pagans approached their gods, and it was based on bad theology and a distorted view of God's care for people. As a remedy for this problematic sort of prayer, Jesus offers the simple reminder that God is a father who knows what his children need. We don't need to relentlessly chase material comfort, and we don't need to manipulate God into meeting our needs like the pagans do. This is good news, and it's a point that Jesus expands on later when he tells people not to worry about food or clothing. God shows the care of a benevolent father who knows what his children need and doesn't withhold good things from them. Now, it's easy sometimes to wonder in light of Jesus' instruction here, why should I pray at all? If God already knows what I need, if I'm not supposed to repetitively go up to God and say, God, please hear me, this is what I need. Uh, If we shouldn't approach God the way the pagans do, why pray at all? In response to that question, I want to offer just a handful of quick suggestions from the Bible and verses to support them. I'm going to run through these really quickly. God is near to those who call on him. Prayer demonstrates our dependence on God. God offers us peace, mercy, and help when we come to him in prayer. Prayer is a way to offer our praise, worship, and gratitude to God. God promises to give us what we ask in accordance with his will. Prayer helps to guard us from falling into temptation, Prayer helps us to discern God's will in times of decision. And prayer allows us to bring our raw emotions before God in lament and anger. And I think this is really important in a world that is so broken, where there is so much pain and sin and evil. Uh, To be able to bring lament before God and anger before God is huge. So this list is by no means exhaustive, either in terms of reasons for prayer or the verses supporting them. This is just a sampling of things that I found this week as I kind of reviewed some scriptural prayers. So if you're interested in this, I would be happy to send you a copy of this list, but I would also encourage you to dig into prayer in scripture on your own time and, and look into this for yourself. There are so many examples in, Bi- in the Bible where we can see that prayer has the capacity to deepen our relationship with God, to change us as we become more Christ-like, and to influence the outcomes of situations in our lives. In God's mysterious wisdom, he has designed the world in such a way that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But the condition of our hearts matters in this equation. As Paul says, we are to pray continually and to bring everything to God in prayer. But our prayer should come from a place of settled dependence on God, not from a place of frantic manipulation. Prayer that honors God is prayer that trusts that God is for us, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously also give us all things? 
So let's review. The first problematic prayer was a result of bad motives and an inflated view of the self. This was the prayer of the hypocrites who sought their own glory in public prayer. And the second problematic prayer resulted from bad theology and a distorted view of God. This was the prayer of the pagans who tried to flatter and manipulate the gods into meeting their needs. Jesus advises his hearers that neither one of these approaches is acceptable to God. So, so far, this sermon has been a big heap of what not to do when it comes to prayer. Uh, provides helpful context for the Lord's Prayer, especially when we think about the fact that prayer is not a magical formula. Jesus wasn't prescribing a certain set of words. He was telling us how we can approach God and the condition of our hearts. I would like to conclude by offering two suggestions or prayer challenges that are a little more positive for the week ahead. First, Notice that prayer, like giving in the previous passage, is assumed by Jesus. He doesn't say if you pray, but rather when you pray. The Jews at this time actually had a very regular rhythm of prayer. Pious Jews would pray three times a day, at sunrise, 3 p.m., and at sundown. The way that Jesus describes going into a private room and closing the door gives us an image of focus and intentionality that would have been relatively common for a lot of Jews at the time in their own private prayer life. So I would like to ask you, do you have an intentional time carved out each day to meet with God in prayer? I know that for many of you, the answer to that question is yes. And I want to affirm and encourage you in that. But perhaps your prayer life is more occasional. You might pray when something urgent comes up or when you feel a certain way, but it's not necessarily a certain time each day. Um, I have planned this ahead, I have premeditated it, and I am going to intentionally go do it now. So if that's the case for you or wherever you are, um, I would like to challenge you to approach prayer with discipline and regularity. And take five minutes twice a day to seek the Lord in prayer. If that sounds like a lot or you don't know where to start, I would suggest praying the Psalms and just start praying through scripture. So five minutes twice a day. Second, we have seen that the pagans generally approached the gods when they needed something. Perhaps you've experienced a relational dynamic like that in your own life with a spouse, a coworker, a parent or a child or a friend and how does it feel to be on the receiving end of it, to just be called when someone needs something from you? I have three kids, and there's often a portion at some time of the day where I start hearing, mom, 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 every 10 seconds. Um, but in the midst of that, can I tell you how beautiful it feels when my seven-year-old just comes up to me to give me a hug and tell me that he loves me? That kind of relational intimacy, uh, even as I want to meet my kids' needs, to know that they love me is really wonderful and sweet. So just like that, while God invites us to bring our cares and concerns to him, he also invites us to know and be known by him in prayer. He wants to meet our needs, but he also wants our affection. 
God as our Father knows our needs, but our deepest need is for God. St. Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So practically, my second challenge is for you to spend time resting in God during your prayer time this week. Specifically, I would like for you to spend two minutes out of your daily prayer time not asking God for anything. Trust that God knows your needs and use that time for praise, adoration, worship, thanksgiving, and repentance. So again, I don't know, Matthias, can we put those? No, okay, your two challenges. Five minutes twice a day in prayer, so that's 10 10 minutes total, and spend two of those minutes without asking God for anything. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful line in one of his letters that I think captures the two problematic forms of prayer that we've looked at today. He says, the prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks. May it be the real thou that I speak to. May it be the real I who speaks, not a hypocritical version of myself who seeks my own glory. And may it be the real thou that I speak to, not my mistaken idea of you, twisted and shrunken down into something that I can manipulate and bend to my will. I think it's fitting for us to conclude today's message with a time of private prayer. If we can, leave this quote up on the screen for you to think about and consider for the next few minutes and just go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you and amen.